people. The only purpose that has to matter is your purpose. And I think we don't find our purpose because we're so worried about everybody else blessing us, saying that our purpose is worthy, when in fact, the only people who should get a vote are us. And we have to stop, we just have to stop giving votes to people who shouldn't have voices. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and you are going to love today's guest. She's fantastic, and I can't wait to share her with you. Laura Gassner Otting is an instigator, a motivator, and a provocator who has never met a revolution she didn't like. She's turned on by the audacity of the big idea and that larger-than-life goal you just can't seem to shake. As an inspiring keynote speaker and founder of Limitless Possibility, Laura collaborates with entrepreneurs and investors to push past the doubt and indecision that consign great ideas to limbo. She delivers strategic thinking, well-honed wisdom, and catalytic perspective informed by decades of navigating change across the startup, nonprofit, political, and philanthropic landscapes. She's empowered thousands through her speaking engagements and inspirational writing, including her newest book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, Dr. Richard, it is great to be here. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Thank you. This is going to be really, really great. And I can't wait to share what you're up to with my audience. And so you are here to talk about your new book and we're going to get into that. But one of the things that I love to do is that I love to find out people's why. So talk to us a little bit about your journey and what led you to get out there and create such an awesome book. So my journey, you know, I could sit here and I could tell you a whole story about my journey that was strategic and had a plan and that I executed exactly the way I was supposed to. And the truth is that my journey has been right turns and left turns and U-turns. And frankly, I spent 20 years interviewing people in executive recruiting and learned that the most interesting people also had right turns and left turns and U-turns. So I think I would do be doing your listeners a huge disservice to say that I had this very specific thing that 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 was the theme throughout my entire career. But looking back on it, what I could say is that the things that excited me all the time were also finding out people's why. When I was doing executive search, I I was very lucky to talk to incredible people at the very top of their game who were super accomplished. So the what they did and the how they did was fine. It was interesting, but like I knew there'd be a really interesting how and a, and, and and a what. What really fascinated me and what I felt blessed every single day to hear was their why. Why they did the work that they did in nonprofit organizations because they weren't doing it because of the, you know, the, the fancy salary or the glamour or the or the or the giant title. They were doing it because there was a mother, a father, a teacher, a mentor, a coach, a life-changing diagnosis, a, a you know, a disaster or something that happened that they woke up one day and said, 
this is my new direction. And so I think for me, I always say that my, my superpower is that I can look at somebody and I can see their greatness in a way that they maybe have never seen it before or maybe never was able to believe it in with such power that they could act on it. And I think it's because what has always drawn me is to help people discover that thing that that really inspires them and really excites them so that they can capitalize on that and really live into who that person is and who they can be in their life. I think that's my why. No, and and that's a great answer. And, And a lot of people do have that kind of superhero moment where... You know, they save the baby from a burning building and realize that's what they have to do. But most people don't. And most people kind of describe something that you described, Lauren, that the signs were always there, that you had glimpses of what really fires you throughout your corporate experience and doing the things with nonprofits and everything else. And it led you to what you're doing today. So I want to give you a lot of time to talk about Limitless because I think this book can help so many people. So take us through what inspired you to write this book. And then I want to jump right into the meat of this good stuff. Yeah. So um, what inspired me to write this book was actually a crisis of self-confidence, interestingly enough. Um, I had sold my executive search from the one that I founded to the great women who helped me build it. And then I had this moment where I was like, who am I when I'm no longer Laura Gassner-Otting, CEO of this company? And so I had this like self-identity moment and I put up a website and I just started blogging. I just started writing about the stuff that I was, that I was going through and sort of my take on the world. And a friend of mine who uh, is the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge saw one of the posts and said, Hey, you should do a TEDx talk about that. And I ended up doing a TEDx talk about this idea about how we solve big problems in the world. And that talk got some attention. And that attention got me an offer to keynote a conference. And that offer came with some money. And I said, what? <laughs> you get, people get paid to do that? And then that led me to a couple others. And then the money started getting to a point where it was sort of interesting. And I realized, if this is something that you can do as a quote-unquote professional, I better become an actual professional and get some real professional training. And so that same friend who connected me with, with TEDx Cambridge connected me with some speaking coaches. And then all of a sudden, I got thrust into this world of people who make their living as keynote speakers. And I could not believe that this was actually a real job. <laughs> but as I was doing it, as I was getting on the stages, giving these great speeches or great, not, you know, big speeches about, I hope they were great big speeches about how we solve these big problems and how we have to have the confidence to be who we are and find our leadership voice and live into, live into that life, I began to feel a little less confident because I didn't have a book. I didn't have a PhD in neuropsychology. I didn't have a thing. And I called a friend of mine who said, you have 20 years of recruiting, studying, stewarding leaders through massive moments of career change. That's your PhD. And I still didn't feel that great. So I talked to a publisher friend and of his and he said, yeah, you should write that book. But before you do that, come write this book about purpose, 20,000 words, really quick, really short. Terrific. So I start writing this book on purpose about going from you know corporate to nonprofit work. And I just felt like it wasn't gelling because the whole idea of a guidebook, which is what he wanted me to write, was like chapter one, problem solution. Chapter two, problem solution. Chapter three, problem. And purpose is this bigger idea, right? It's like it's it's the reason why people are like, I I I didn't have the save the baby from a 
you know, the burning building moment is because we think it's going to be the save the baby. We think it's going to be the big giant thing. And in order to unpack what purpose really is, I needed more than problem solution, problem solution, problem solution. And so I said, I called him up and I said, I don't um, think I'm the writer for you. I think this book is not working. You should find somebody else. And he said, I agree. <laughs> and I said, wait, that was not the answer I was expecting. Um, and he said, but this idea about how to live the life you want, how to stop being limited by everybody else is actually a bigger idea. And I think you should write that book and we should do it in hardback and we should do it in April. And I had a panic attack because <laughs> that wasn't the book I was planning on writing. And I didn't, big book, big idea, me, what are you talking about? So I called a friend of mine and he said, well, what do you want people to talk to feel like when they've read this book? And we spent 45 minutes at the end of it. He said, so you want them to be limitless? You want them to ignore everybody, carve their own path and live their best life? And I said, yes. He goes, good, go write that book. (laughs) And so I hung up the phone and I wrote that book in like three weeks. And that's limitless. How to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life. And that's how this book came about. So it wasn't this... Again, it wasn't this plan that I was going to do this thing. But as I was thinking about what's been getting in people's way, about why they're feeling limited by everybody else and they're not living a life that really feels purposeful and having work that really matters, it, it, this thing sort of began to form. And then I started getting feedback from lots and lots of people from every different walk of life that they were like, yes, I feel like, like I'd send them early drafts and they were like, I feel like you've written this book for me. And then it became really exciting because it suddenly had you know legs, this book that I never planned to write and this idea that I didn't even realize I've been carrying around for the last 20 years. But this thing that's kind of been my... Just the, like the way that I... Like my life philosophy has turned out to really be empowering for a lot of people. And so it's been, it's been exciting. It's been humbling. It's been a little scary because I feel like now I have to serve the potential of it. But yeah, that's the story of how the book came about. It was, again, not a specific plan, but it was one that seemed to make a lot of sense because it was consonant with who I am. No, it's an awesome story because it wasn't the book you intended to write at all. And and here we are. And so, you know, we've talked about purpose a little bit. Purpose is everywhere right now. I mean, purpose is a big part of this show. Purpose is a big part of what Bob Berg does and other people like him. So, why do you think we're seeing purpose popping up so much right now in the media? Like it's kind of everywhere. Yeah, it's like a real zeitgeist moment, actually. And every time the New York Times Magazine does some, you know, entire weekend uh, issue on how to what makes a good job good, and you know, every time there's there's a different op-ed about purpose and does your work matter, and you know, people feeling like they're important. I I realize that it's it's everywhere. I mean, everyone is thinking about it, and it's 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 millennials who are by 2025 going to be 75% of the workforce. Um, I talked to a woman a couple of weeks ago from Accenture who runs their global HR and she said they're already 75% of our workforce. So they're just... Millennials are everywhere and they're pushing this idea of purpose that's really never been had before in, in the workplace. Um, you know, they, because they live in this... this, this you know, they're digital natives and they've lived in this, this space of social media where all of their, you know, their life and their work and everything kind of overlaps. They expect it to matter. They expect it to be reflective of who they are. And then you have baby boomers that are retiring at 10,000 a day. And these are, you know, they're the children of MLK and RFK and JFK. And they're sort of going back to their angsty 1960s social justice roots and they want to have a last encore that matters. And then there's my generation 
you know, the Gen Xers who we will not be forgotten, no matter how much people want us to be, we will not be forgotten. And we're sandwiched between young kids and aging parents. And we know that, you know, the time that we spend has to matter because we could be doing so many other things. There are so many demands on our time right now. And so it's really coming from every direction in the workforce. And, and it's, it is forcing corporations to think about their employee value proposition. At the same time, we also had an election in 2016 that regardless of what side of the political aisle you sit on, really forced people to think about what we stand for. And you know, in the, in the 2017 Super Bowl, every single commercial was about companies talking about their ethos and their culture and their their you know who they are and and what they believe in and so it's it's really permeating every part of our culture right now the way that you describe that makes a lot of sense and it is interesting in a, certainly reflecting on that cultural shift in that the millennials are now com- composing so much of the workforce and that they tend to be you know, in in terms of an age group that seems to be at the forefront of this movement, that, that there has to be some sort of social consciousness to the work that we're doing, the way you describe that makes a lot of sense. So knowing that, knowing that purpose is meaning more for everybody, regardless of how old you are or what you're doing, talk to us a little bit about how Limitless helps us kind of hone that, figure out what we're supposed to do with that. I think the initial genesis of the book came from my frustration with the idea that the only way your work can have purpose is if you're in the nonprofit sector. Now, I spent 20 years helping people find work in the nonprofit sector. I wrote a book about going from corporate to nonprofit work. I believe deeply in nonprofit work. However, I spent so much time listening to people say things like, well, I'll do that after. That's for after I've made my money. That's for other people who, you know, are just, they're just better people than me. That's for the people who wear the white hats. And, and, and with this idea that A, working in the nonprofit sector wasn't a real career, and spoiler alert, it is, right? Very much a real career, but also that it was for other people at other times, you know, with other, um, uh, you know, with other uh, priorities in life. And I think it crystallized for me when I was giving a talk in uh, Japan at a U.S. Army base. And I was introduced, it was, it was part of a program that was working with soldiers to help them transition from the Army to uh, civilian life and find work. And I was brought in as the nonprofit expert. And I was standing backstage and I was introduced as the expert in nonprofit work, the thing that you'll do after you come home and make your money. Hmm. And I, as you can imagine, lost it and came out like heartstrings <laughs> ablazing. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, there are people working in the nonprofit sector who make six figures. There are people working in the nonprofit sector who make seven figures. There are perfectly great jobs in the nonprofit sector. But also the way that he, the way that he introduced me as you'll come home, you'll do your work, and then you'll find purpose later. And I just, he was talking to a group of people who have self-selected to have service as part of their work. And so I just, I had this moment where I said, you know, purpose is important and we can all have purpose. And the only definition of purpose is the reason for which something is done. That's it. Like there's no picture of Mother Teresa feeding the lepers. There's no um, judgmental friend wagging her finger at you. It, it is literally the reason for which something is done. And so purpose is not just service and service is not just sacrifice. And so we can all have purpose in our work regardless. And so if your purpose is going out and curing cancer, then awesome. If your purpose is getting yourself out of debt and so that your, your family can live with more financial flexibility and freedom, 
great. If your purpose is buying a Maserati in a beach house, that's great too. The only purpose that has to matter is your purpose. And I think we don't find our purpose because we're so worried about everybody else blessing us, saying that our purpose is worthy, when in fact, the only people who should get a vote are us. And we have to stop we just have to stop giving votes to people who shouldn't have voices. So how do we go down that process? How do we basically stop listening to the votes of other people? Yeah, well, so that's why this, the first part of the subtitle is how to ignore everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to just say, screw the Joneses. You know, like all those fancy friends and if they're with their shiny Facebook profile pictures and their perfect beach vacations. You know who I'm talking about. You can, you can picture those friends in your mind right now. And I'm sure all of your listeners are picturing those friends in their mind right now. I think it's important to stop assigning value to what everybody else says is valuable, right? Like we turn to Instagram and we see like 8 billion Kardashians on there and we think like one of them has to know the answer, right? Because there's so many of them. Like some of them has to know. Um, And what do we see when we get there? We see things like, um, if you can dream it, you can do it. And if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And if you just have to lean in and that's not working out for people, right? I mean, that's like, those are Instagram memes. They're not roadmaps. They're not even destinations. I mean, they're, 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 they're terrible. And so I think the first thing is to stop judging our bloopers by everybody else's highlight reels and to stop saying, I'm not good enough because I'm not thin enough or rich enough or you know, I, I don't work hard enough. I don't spend enough time with my kids. All of the I'm not enough, I'll be happy when, I think is, is, is terrible. I mean, I think I'll be happy when are like the four worst words in the English language. Because I'll be happy when it says that you're not happy now and that the way you are right now can't be happiness. And I think we can be happy now if we spend some time saying what matters to me, to me, not everybody else and not how everyone else is going to judge me and how ever, not how everybody else is going to interpret this, but what matters to me? When am I the happiest? When do I feel like everything that I do well is being put towards the thing that I care most about? How do I spend more time in that place? Because that's how to be more happy now. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. I know there's several tenants in your book, and we've talked about the first of them indirectly in that one's calling, you know, that finding that purpose, finding that push towards that thing that's bigger than ourselves, whatever that is to us, whatever that is to us. So once we've identified that calling and once we've started tuning out the shiny posts on Facebook and the people who are passing their own values or judgments on us as to how we should be, Laura, what's the next step? Yeah, so, the, so as you mentioned, the first is calling. And calling, I mean, each of these 
they're going to be different at every age and at every life stage you go through. So when I was 21 years old and volunteering on a presidential campaign, my calling was this leader who absolutely inspired me. And to work on behalf of this idea, community service in exchange for, for college tuition, which became in Bill Clinton's White House, AmeriCorps, that absolutely inspired me, right? Like this was my calling. I was worth my weight in ramen soup and idealism, but I dropped out of law school because I care deeply about this this candidate and this idea, right? That was my calling. The second thing is once you have a sense of what your calling is, is to think about the connection that you have to that calling. What work are you doing on a daily basis that are, that's helping you get to that? And for me, you know, I wasn't very connected to the work. I was a gopher. I was going out and I was fetching coffee, but I knew that that mattered. I knew that it mattered because the people who were making big decisions needed to be caffeinated. And I was 21 years old and didn't really have a lot of information in my head to help make those big decisions, but there were things that I could do. So the second piece of it is is connection. For me, I cared so much about calling that it was okay to me that I didn't have that much connection on a daily basis. I knew that there was some connection, but it wasn't the thing I needed most. And each of these four Cs, calling and connection being the first two, we'll talk about the last two, contribution and control, we'll all want in different amounts at different times. So what you said was interesting, that you were 21 and you were just kind of running to Starbucks getting people on that staff coffee. So that connection wasn't really there for you, but you were okay with it at the time. Um, What if somebody wants to increase their connection right now? They're feeling like, man, that is something that I really want. What are some things I can do to, to have a more meaningful impact in that way. Yeah, well, I think there's two parts of it. I think the first is there are ways to increase your connection. And the second is just to to make sure before you assume that you don't have connection, that it might just be that you just don't have sight lines into how your work is connected. So it may be that you need to get more connection, but it also may be that you just need to ask some better questions to understand. You know, how do you, why do you in this box, in this division, in this company, in this organizational chart, why do you matter? Why does like, why is that box there? Okay, that box was not just put there because they wanted to have another line on the payroll. The line was put there because they're expect like that job matters. So why does this job that you're doing actually matter? Would anybody notice if you called in sick tomorrow? If nobody knows if you called in sick tomorrow, the odds are you don't have a lot of connection to your work. That's okay if that's something you don't care that much about. But I'm guessing that most people will want at least some connection. So um the first thing that you can do is you can ask some questions. You can ask um, to, to understand how the project that you're working on, the budget you're putting together, the presentation that you're perfecting, how does that increase the bottom line of the company or, or help the, the organization solve a big problem? You can ask for some sight lines about how decisions get made, how teams get assigned, how um, promotions are handled, how bonuses are, are, are given out. So you can, you can ask to tag along to a meeting. You can ask to tag along to a presentation. Um, if somebody's heading out to get coffee, you can walk with them and just ask them what they're working on and what that means and how they got into that position. And so it's, it, it, a lot of times, managers don't ask people to do extra stuff to come along to get coffee, to you know, pick their brain about a project, something because they don't want to put people out. They just they feel badly asking anybody to do any more than they're already being asked to do. And when somebody pops their head up from their cubicle and is like, excuse me, I'm interested in knowing more, managers love that. So it's really it it may it may not be that your work doesn't matter or that you don't have connection. It may just be that you need greater sight lines into how it does matter and how and, and that will help you then get even more connection. That's a great answer. And so we've 
we're working our way through these four C's. We've touched on calling and connection. The next one is contribution. Laura, take us through conceptually what you mean by there and what are some actionable steps within that one? Yeah, so if contribution, if connection is all about the work, contribution is really all about you. So we all want our work to bring something to our lives, but what, right? We Do we want it to... Do we want the work that we're doing to increase the velocity of our career trajectory? Do we want the work that we do to allow us to manifest our values into, into the world on a daily basis? Do we want the work to give us the flexibility or the money to live the lifestyle that we want? You know, what is the work contributing to, to, the, to, to whether or not you can live the kind of life that you want? So that's contribution. And again, like connection and calling, you may want more or less of this at different times of your life. So if people are feeling like they need more contribution in their life, frankly, it may be that they need a job that pays them more money. It may be that they're willing to give up some calling or some connection to do a job that maybe doesn't feel as personally fulfilling, but feels financially fulfilling. It may be that they are willing to... Um, it may be that they, that, that, that they will have less control, which is the one we'll talk about next, because they're, you know, they, they don't have you know, the say on all the assignments, but it's allowing them to, to, to have... A more of an opportunity to put themselves in the deal flow to get a potential uh, promotion in, in the future. So it's really thinking about how much do you value the contribution piece of things. Again, going back to when I was on that on that political campaign, you know, as I mentioned, I was paid and I was worth my weight in ramen soup. I wasn't making any money, but I knew that if this guy won, first of all, I was able to manifest my values on a daily basis like crazy, right? Like I was all in in this sort of idealistic. Uh, you know, uh, quixotic campaign that this governor from Arkansas that no one had heard of way back then, but it was so exciting. I was fetching coffee, but I knew that if this guy won, wow, the velocity of my career would be completely different, right? So it was absolutely contributing the kinds of people that I was meeting, the the network that I was building, the ideas that I was learning. I was growing so fast, so I had a huge amount of contribution. And then the last C I'll, I'll skip to is control because I think it goes with this. I had absolutely no control whatsoever. I was doing presidential advance. I didn't know on a Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday if I was going to be flown to Arkansas or Texas or New York or Wyoming to, to do an event. But I didn't care because I was 21 and I didn't have young children. I didn't have... Uh, you know, I dropped out of law school to do this. I didn't have anything else that that uh, that I, I didn't have anybody they owed anything to or any time or any. I had no responsibilities other than this thing, so I didn't need to have a lot of control. So control is the last of the four C's, and control really is how much personal agency do you have over how much connection the work has to your to your calling and how much contribution it's bringing to your life. And so, at every age and at every life stage, these things are going to be different. You know, now I'm. In my late 40s, and I spend 150,000 miles uh, uh, on the road every year. I, I travel like crazy. So I know I need a ton of control. When I come home, I need to be able to control how I spend my time, how much I can see my kids, how much I can see my husband, what clients I take you know, in the interim. Um, I believe deeply in, in helping people get out of their own way, get unstuck, live the best life they can. And so that's why I'm putting this book out into the world and I'm speaking. But I, I need to make sure that the work that I'm doing is deeply connected to that. So I, I don't really... Do, I do some executive coaching, but I don't really do that much right now because for me, my calling is getting this out into the world to as many people as I can. And the individual coaching is not as scalable. 
right? So I want to do much more. So I'm trying to spend my time in this place where I'm doing great podcasts like this, where I'm able to get the message to as many people as possible. So I'm really maximizing my time because that then allows me in the contribution piece to have as much flexibility as I possibly can so that, for example, I can go to parent-teacher conferences this afternoon or do things like that. Makes perfect sense. I, I think that's one of the things that most people, certainly in the entrepreneurial space, will agree is that having control over your time is more valuable than, in, in many instances, the money itself. It's absolutely true. You know, I ran for 15 years, I ran an executive search firm, and I didn't actually realize I was an entrepreneur until I ran into a mentor of mine years later. And he was like, so did you always know you were an entrepreneur? And I was like, no. And he goes, well, I did. I was like, I wish you would have told me that years ago <laughs> because that would have been great. But one of the things that surprised me most when I ran that company is... So we, I, had been at a, I had been at a big firm and I had this kind of Jerry Maguire moment of rage and left and started my own thing. And then a number of people from that big firm actually came and joined my firm. And I had thought because we were a bit of like a magical mystery tour. We never quite knew like how it was all going to work out. Like It all worked out and we grew 100% every year. For the first 10 years, it was incredible and exhausting. Um, we were super successful. But you never quite knew if the phone was going to ring. You know, you, just, it, you thought it would, but it, it was not 100% guaranteed. And I was always surprised that the people who worked in my firm got nervous about that. Because for me, that's part of the entrepreneurial journey. And what I realized was that just because they work in an entrepreneurial endeavor doesn't make them entrepreneurs. And that was hard for me to understand at first because I didn't necessarily I didn't necessarily need to know exactly what was going to happen when. I just needed to know that I could control whatever set of circumstances were given to me. I could control my destiny within it. And I was always surprised that 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 other people didn't feel that way, especially when they were willing to jump into this sort of unknown endeavor. But what I realized was that they didn't necessarily have control or need to have control, but what they needed to have was um, they needed to have that connection. They needed to know that the work they were doing on behalf of their clients was important and it was good and that they were the ones who were, who were leading the work. And they needed to have the contribution in terms of they needed to make sure that they were making the kind of money that they that they needed to make and also that they were able to have the flexibility in their own lives to be able to do it. But they wanted me to have the control a little bit more because that was scary to them. Makes sense. And we got for a couple of moments slightly off track, but I loved that we did because it, it brought home a really valuable point. And I know that you have something really cool called the Limitless Challenge. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, it's an assessment, actually. So if there are people who are listening that were like, oh, I don't know. I mean, calling, connection, contribution, control, they all sound good. I'm not really sure. Um, I created something called limitlessassessment.com. And I'll say that again, limitlessassessment.com. And it's a quiz that's got about 60 questions. Uh, it takes about 15, 10 to 15 minutes to do. And uh, the questions are, they're, they're pretty catalyzing, asking you about your connection to, well, your connection to connection, um, but how much, uh, how much of calling, contribution, connection, and control you want to have in your life. And then how much of each you actually do have in your life. And so at the end, you'll get this very pretty little radar chart that, uh, will show how much of each you have, how much of each you want, and you'll see whether or not they overlap. And where they don't overlap is where you're not in consonance. And then you'll get some tips about how to actually go out and get more of whatever it is that you want in your life. So it's a really good place to start if you're trying to figure out, I don't feel like I'm in consonance. I feel like there may be something missing in my life. I've checked all the right boxes along all the right paths, but it's just 
I don't know why something feels empty. It's a great place to go and to see exactly... Um, it really gives you a framework and some language about how to start thinking about the changes you might want to make on your own. Perfect. And we'll have everything related to this book and that test in our show notes as well. So if you missed it, no worries. We've got you covered there. Laura, I loved having you on the show today. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest one question. That is, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our chat today? You know, we always read all those articles about you know, the biggest regret that people have when they're dying. And, you know, top of the list always is, I wish I could have lived the life I wanted instead of the life that people expected of me. And this book is meant to help people understand that the best way that you can serve the people around you and the causes that you love is to find your very best, most fundamental state of leadership, who you are when you are at your very, very best, whether it's loud, quiet, public, private, who you are when you are firing on all cylinders and bringing the best of what you have to the things that you care most about. And so what I would want to leave people with is that if that sounds like ambition to, to go and to strive and to be the biggest version of yourself, then I would say that if doing that and showing up more in the lives of the people that you love and the causes you hold dear, dear helps them do better, then it's not just your ambition, it's your responsibility. Love that. Laura, where can people find out more about you and get their hands on your book? Uh, they can find me on all the socials at Hey LGO. That's H E Y L G O, Hey LGO. I'm at HeyLGO.com. And uh, the book is on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, 800 CEO Reads, anywhere fine books are sold. Anywhere fine books are sold. I hey, love that. Fine books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Awesome. And thanks to each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. <laughs>